Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Thank you, Pastor Paul. That was fantastic. Something that we like to do on regional days is uh, be interactive as well. So Lockie's going to throw up a number on the screen that you can text questions to for Paul and Annette, and they're going to join me up here on these stools now. Uh, I've got a couple of intro questions and just something to let you know, because Daz tells me absolutely everything that's said in state executive meetings. No, he doesn't, not at all. He's very confidential. But um, what he does say is that the way that Paul just spoke is how he speaks behind closed doors as well, that he is always championing the significance of every church, no matter the size, the, whether it's city, regional, whatever, that that's how he talks, that's consistent with his language all the time. So I think we're very blessed to have a state president that isn't blind and just involved in their own circumstance, but sees the breadth of it, and I'm very grateful for that. So thanks, Paul. Um, yes, yeah, that's a good idea. Very, very yeah, we're Pentecostals, we clap at anything, let's do it. Okay, well, um, just a question to start off. Uh, around here, we know um, Daz is just a really fantastic leader and he, like, he'll get on a course of something and he'll just go for it and it's partly to do with his resolve but it's also partly to do with his temperament. Um, Paul, you've called yourself a disruptor Actually, Darren just calls me disruptive. <laughs> yeah. Do you think? How do you? One, how do you? Um, how do you cope when people don't come along that journey with you? And two, is that partly your temperament? Uh, how much would you equate to your temperament? How much would you equate I, to your resolve? I think it's definitely part of my temperament. Although, I, I would describe it this way: what sits deeply at the seat of my life is I do love the church, but I do love uh, lost people. So. I just can't reconcile people who are already saved making it about them. Yeah. I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's I'm, – I'm describing me, right? So I literally don't get the hoopla – and I'm being extreme because I, I – the hoopla of Christians doing Christian things when there are people out there that don't know Jesus. Yeah. Like, so that's what sits in me. So it drives me. I'm probably unhealthy in that. Like, I'm probably like, Paul, just come back in the line a little bit. Um, you know, but it, it's definitely my uh, personality. So I don't, I, I add, I'm a disruptor with a good spirit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a guy with a chip on his shoulder. I don't, I mean, I lead a church, right? I'm like, I'm a senior pastor, so I'm not anti-church. Sometimes you get people that um, have left, used to be parts of church, and they've formed other little groups because they're anti-church now. Well, you can't change anything when you move yourself out of it. You can only make change when you're in it, right? Yeah. And so nobody's more surprised than me that I became president, right? <laughs> what, what are you thinking? You know, like I am, am going to stir things up. I am going to, you know, not let, not let things settle and be like they've always been. I'm, I'm a, I, am, I am a disruptor, yeah, sorry. Yeah. trying to think of a nice way to say it. <laughs> well, um, you know, obviously that would throw up some... Uh, Confusion, maybe sometimes, maybe some consternation, maybe some opposition even. I sp- so I spend my life mostly in opposition. Um, but I, it's another one of my friends. <laughs> I've got three friends. Yeah, no, I do spend... I feel like I'm going against the flow most of the time, yeah. Uh, so what actually, if I'm very honest, most... Not so much now because I've had opportunity to influence and change, but in the early years, particularly when I was community engagement leader f- the first couple of years, 
Honestly, everybody was really basic. You want to know what everyone was really saying I was? Unspiritual. Because mm. it's community, right? Because mm. spiritual, we describe spiritual as a whole range of other things. Worship, mm. that's spiritual. Preaching spiritual. But reaching a community is not spiritual. That's a department that you do. So most of the opposition I get is, uh, yeah, you know, he's just, he's an, he's just un, being unspiritual. So that's probably my opposition, yeah. yeah. Annette, you don't have the same temperament as Paul, but you believe in the message every bit as much as Paul. You're as convinced and it's been... She's a convert. <laughs> Revealed by the Holy Spirit to you as well. Um, Annette, not having that same drive-forward temperament, how have you gone with that opposition to the message or just the non-receptivity sometimes to the message? Um, I think if you're going to change culture, that is the course you take. I mean, you can't... St- study anyone in history that's changed things hasn't gone basic basically through hell right or died for it sorry um <laughs> well it's true um so the fact that you know you you as a leader uh, paul often says you're leading people to where they don't want to go so as a leader you just have to understand that um, you know, you're not going to have your BFFs in the congregation or whoever you're working with. And I, I work with a lot of uh, young leaders, particularly women in leadership, and one of their biggest questions to me is, um, how do you find a really good friend? Like, it's that simple because they know in their leadership role there is opposition to them or people just see them as, oh, you're just a leader of the church and you'll always say that. So I think... I think you have to come to a point where you say, you know what, the person we, we're following, Jesus, died because he went against culture. Yes, brilliant. Right? So if we're supposed to follow him. So <laughs> it's not a very happy message, but yeah. I think it's the truth. It's, <laughs> it's very courageous. Paul, what's the hardest thing about leading state? How long have you got? <laughs> no, actually, this is going to sound strange, but it's actually what I've... Annette says I have nine worlds. I think she's exaggerating. It's eight. And uh, so it's, that's one of my worlds. It's actually one of the easier things I lead, actually because sitting around the table are high-level leaders. So I inherited three staff, um, plus I sit in a room of senior pastors who all know how to lead churches. So actually, it's quite empowering. So we get, we get a lot of things done. We, uh, if I can say this delicately, th- they've got good EQ. Mm. So when I'm, when I'm strong about something and I'm uncompromising, in do- like th- they, they got it. They, I don't have to spend the next two weeks saying, oh, sorry, so sorry about that, Darren. I didn't mean to say it that way. And, you know, uh, he's not, he or the rest of the team aren't like that. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot done. Um, I think just... Not like it with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, the only thing I would say is I've spent my life doing transition. Like I transitioned my own church, took seven to ten years to turn that church around, large church, different direction. And I said, really, Lord? Getting a bit tired. Do I have to transition a movement? Is that what I have to do, Lord? Could you just... So we I would say we feel like we're a bridge generation. So we're a bridge between, so we're 50, so we're a bridge between an old generation and a new. And sometimes I say to the Lord, Lord, could I just be on one side? Could I be just loving the old 
you know, putting my energy into keeping it like it was. Or just put me in cryo space or something. Just put me asleep and bring me back when it's all moved. <laughs> That's on my weekdays, you know. And then I realised. So I'd probably think the kind of thing we're talking about, we won't, it may not even be my generation, which is frustrating. But uh, well, so it's more that. I don't know whether yeah. I answered the question or not. Um, Annette, what's been the most helpful thing to help you be comfortable in your skin and in your calling, your unique calling? Um, yeah, I guess uh, I grew up, I, my father was a minister, so um, spent a lot of my time working with him. And then um, my husband, who was a builder, earned Chick-chip. money, <laughs> not a pastor that I married. Married me when I was a builder too, so she thought she's out of ministry for So... For me, I've always filled spots in the church, worked in every area of the church, led in every area. And um, probably over 10 years ago, the Lord really took me through a journey of really calling me out for who I was Mm. and where I fitted best. So I would say I was a generalist, could do the roles, but they didn't wasn't necessarily my strength and passion. So I went through a whole, myself, a, a coaching process which brought out um, who I am, um, where my skills are, my passions are. So you are. went and got a coach? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Paul and I did this. Uh, there's a coaching group called Halftime Australia um, and they talk with people about their second half of their lives. And we went on a sabbatical. So during that time, over the four-month period, I had a coach who basically looked at everything I was, how I functioned best. So for me, that was a really good journey to know who I was and when I walk into a a space of leadership or wherever I'm working or ministering, I know what I bring to the table. And that's really great because um, you have the energy to do it because you're passionate. And so, yeah, that's been a huge journey for me, yeah. All right, here's a question. And that's a good strategist, by the way. So, yes, Annette and I, we've been married 31 years. So, we've probably in the last even just five years, we've never complimented each other so well. And so, Annette graciously, so I'm writing a, and it's going to laugh at the moment I say it, I'm writing my second book called, the second book's going to be Unlearning. The reason I'm laughing because Annette's writing it for me. <laughs> yeah, um, because she's a good writer. Yeah, she, so she writes well. So, a lot of my blogs and or the written side of my life. I mean, she's taking my messages, but she puts them into a written form. And she's also a very good strategist. So behind the scenes, she's the strategist for, thank God it's Monday, which is global now, et cetera, et cetera. So we finally figured it out, honey. (laughs) I'd like to come back to that in a moment, but I want to give you time to think, Annette, about how... Because obviously Paul gets all the credit for all that Mm. and you're doing all that work. (laughs) So I'm just going to come back to that in a moment. (laughs) Was this (laughs) pre-planned? But Paul, I've got a difficult question for you on the way. And that is, the question is, are disruptors always right? And as a disruptor, how do you know that the disruption you're creating is the right disruption? Of course we think we're right, us disruptors. (laughs) Um, the challenge I have is probably where I there's two things I don't do well like even what I said today let me let me use this example so I said today don't call this a house of God it's not wrong I used to say it's not wrong I've had to temper my language it's not wrong but it's not helpful it's a better way to say it right of course 
you know, you're not going to go to hell because you're called at the house of God and whatever. But I realise because I'm so intense, I'm, I can sometimes make things right or wrong. And so I've tempered it. It is a lot of things we're talking about is they will write once, but they're not going to be right or good for our future. So therefore, they're unhelpful. So I think, um, what if I'm wrong? I reckon I'm wrong lots. Um, because I know myself, you don't know myself, um, I know deep down my motives are right, uh, or, or sorry, pure, not right. They're pure. I, in the sense that I deeply love the Lord, I deeply love the church, and I'm desperate to see lost people come to know Jesus. As long as I've got those centrepieces, I'm probably not going to stray too far. Um, I, I'm not... The moment it would, if, if, if it, the seat of my life was self-promotion, ego, how do I look good in this, then it would be a dangerous scenario. But I can honestly tell you that's not what sits at the cinema. I, I honestly don't care. I don't care if I'm noticed. I often joke around, when I die, give me a blank tombstone. I'm a fussed. Who, care, who cares if nobody knows, remembers me? I don't care. God knows me. Yeah. That's enough for me. Yeah. I literally could not care less. Mm-hmm. But I've leave the earth and nobody mentions my name again. Mm-hmm. Doesn't bother me, yeah. and so for me, I know that's in check in my life, mm. and it helps me kind of know that my disrupting is the right motive, mm. although often said not so right sometimes. <laughs> you no, know, I, I know that you came, I think, four years ago and, and preached. Part of your message was be happy to be overlooked, mm. and that stuck with me and has been just the best mantra to. I don't like, like so I don't like green rooms, mm. so our culture's full of green rooms. You know what I mean? The pastors stay away from the people. And I'm not, again, sorry, it's not wrong. <laughs> I just don't think it's helpful that we, that we have a, I'm superior to somebody else. I don't think that's right. I'm not good with green rooms. So you'll often find me coming to churches or regions and people are shuffling me into a green room. And I'm like, but all the people are out there. Why would I be in here when they're all out there? And um, So the Hawks basketball taught me they regularly, they regularly ignored me. They regularly mistreated me. They regularly forgot about me. And they regularly overlooked me. And that's exactly what I need. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Very good. Yep. That might be a good segue. And Annette too. overlooked me sometimes <laughs> as well. Previous question, Annette. Uh, how do you go, given that you do a lot of the work and you, people wouldn't even know? Um, it's a moment, Annette. <laughs> yeah, they're listening. Do I choose the bitterness or the joy? Run with bitterness for a while, see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of... I just found out recently that I'm middle management. There you go. I've never known what does that. that mean? So that means that I work under a visionary and I have to work with team underneath, which is quite a frustrating space if anyone's worked in that. Make it your friend. <laughs> so... One of the things I found out, uh, so they used to put me in charge of big, like, whole church at one point, mm-hmm. but I found out in my personality I'm the best on a team, yeah. like as a, a part of a high-level team, which I love. And so God's not silly. He knows that I hate being on stage. I don't like... Being meeting like everywhere that poor may flourish, I I really have to push myself to do because of my personality. So it kind of works, you know, because I'm happy to be on that really great team. I love the 
working with a team. I don't have to be out the front. I don't enjoy that. So it's not like I'm going, oh, one day it's going to be my day or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. That's probably not my dream yeah. to be. Yeah. be like, I mean, I do find myself sometimes in that space, like today, <laughs> but um, and I can do that. But, you know, I'm happiest when I, I can work behind the scenes, be on a team and contribute. So knowing who you are, knowing what you're yep. called to, that helps yeah. with that as well. Yeah, That's brilliant. Um, strategy question, Annette. Yes. Given that Lighthouse is so really wanting to be visitor-friendly and make sure that they can understand everything, how do you go with believers and ensure that they're looked after through the week, Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday? Yeah, so um, right now um, we, we are working on that thought and... From my perspective, um, I don't see a Christian and a non-Christian. I see them as everyone's people. And there's some people that know God and some don't. And so you've got to understand uh, people in your church have got the same issues. They're living out the same life as someone outside the church. Because the women that I meet with outside the church are dealing exactly, like I'm talking exactly what the women in the church. So I sit in a hairdresser regularly with a whole bunch of really high-level women in the Wollongong area. And they're, number, they're all my age. And their number one thing is, how do I handle my teenager who's getting drunk? And you might think, well, the world would just accept that. But they're not. They're fighting for their kids and, wow. you know, where do they get their values and morals? I don't know, but they've got the same heart for their children as yeah. me in the church. Wow. So I figure when they're asking me, what do you think about this, Annette? I'm just, I'm not offering, I'm the, as Paul and I say, guru on the hill about this, but I'm offering what's helped me, yeah. which is God yeah. Yeah. and he, what he offers for my life. And that's the difference. Yeah between me and anyone else in like that don't know God yeah. is that I get to connect with him and he's my greatest resource and help in life. Um, yeah, so is that answer? So, so for, for me, we've got to look at, you know, people in the church, out of the church the same way. So we looked at the discipleship um, spectrum You've got to understand everyone's still on a journey of discipleship, yeah, right? Yeah. So we just have to look at, well, if you're outside the church, that's a different way to disciple someone. Yeah. If you're in the church, then you understand there needs to be discipleship for those people as well and there needs to be care and love in the church. So I just look at it in a broader sense that, um, you know, we're really working on now. So our connect groups... So our connect groups should be, or small groups, should be, yes, you're discipling those in faith, mm -hmm. but it should be open enough for a non-Christian to be invited and loved on yeah. and discipled as well. Yeah, so just looking at it from a more open perspective, uh, we really came to the thought a few years ago that our Sundays, and I'm not sure, it might be different in your smaller communities, but our Sundays is not the body of Christ gathering. It's a crowd of people. Mm. We can get homeless people, 
um, people uh, from all walks of life, from all culture. You can have an atheist in the meeting or someone's been in the Lord for 50 years. That's the crowd on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And for us to, to think, oh, they're being discipled by what we're doing here today on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, we are mistaken. So small groups, discipleship, making sure people are grown in the Lord, whether they're far from Christ or already saved, yeah. is, is so important to think of it in those terms. Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, I'm just going to read this question to you, Paul. Paul, how do you find making friends and having friends that you can trust and how do you as a leader overcome friends that hurt you and do the wrong by you? Well, I've already mentioned three friends I've got already this morning. Yeah, frustration, <laughs> quitting and... And they keep me warm in winter. And uh, um, Yeah, friends is hard as a senior pastor. Uh, we often we talk about that as a senior pastor. So when we transitioned Lighthouse, I always expect, for example, I always expected uh, in some ways the older generation to leave. But a huge amount of our friends left. Like our age group left, the people that we've been friends with growing up through youth. I could surmise that some of those reasons were probably we... We were the youth pastors or on an equal footing. Mm. I don't think we're better, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And then we become the senior pastors over our friends. Mm. So I think that messed with them a little bit. Mm. Uh, I was obviously transitioning the church in a different direction. That didn't help. So I have lost friends. I would say that my betrayal thought spoke into uh, men in my life that I trusted that knifed me was what would be my experience which started to develop a betrayal thought around my life. So a lot of, some of my betrayal was people in the church just leaving and others was mates of mine that were really close that just stopped being close. Mm. Or, or really, I think the trick is this, I would often know, I forget that I'm a pastor, so I think we're having a, a normal friendship and then they leave and I realise, oh, I was just their pastor. Mm. And it shocks me, I'm like, oh, I thought we are actually friends, but... There was a different dynamic going on here that I'd never noticed. Um, so what I do is I really only have one or two close friends. I probably, it'd be nice to have more, but I have one or two. Um, and they're the kind of two different, one of them's fairly high end task, a bit like me. One of them's just really cruisy and he's my fishing buddy. <laughs> I just go fishing with. And he's so awesome because he just hardly talks. <laughs> Right, and he never br he never brings up anything about church. So, we, and I have a kayak, and he has he went and bought one because I had one, and we go out in the ocean together. And he'll just he can drift away from me. I'm not seeing him for an hour. He'll come back and show me his fish, and he tells people we went fishing. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't I didn't see you anyway, but I felt like I was out fishing with my friend, you know. So when we when we want to have a chat about dumb things, because um, I just want to give you a tip, girls. By the way, you know how. You always wanted to know what men are thinking. Yeah, sometimes we're thinking nothing. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe, but when I sit down on my kayak and Nick goes, "Oh, well, did you? What were you thinking through stuff?" I'm like, "Well, no." <laughs> well, what was going through your head? Well, absolutely nothing. We—that's a gift. We actually have the ability to absolutely think about nothing. And so, I, me and my absolutely nothing thinking friend go out fishing together, and we think it's an awesome day. So I, that's to me. So I'm trying to invest in that. So I know that fishing with my mate is a, although that's hard work sometimes to fit it in, it's really important for me. I have to make it happen. So I said to you, Brian, I'll say it again. So the two things that you, the two principles I have around rest, that I know I'm resting, is 
this is how you know, um, when it feels selfish or wasteful, yeah. then I'm resting. Yeah, so I'm sitting out in my kayak going, this feels so selfish. I'm wasting time here. I should be doing something. I go, right, now I'm resting. Yeah, that's great. It's very good. I didn't say illegal, by the way, just <laughs> selfish and wasteful. Um, you might, you both, like you to both comment to this, this will probably be the last one. Um, you might not struggle with it so much now, but cast your mind back to early days in leadership if you, if you don't so much now. On the bad days, how do you, what language do you use? How do you speak to yourself in terms of what you just talked about to rally yourself to keep going, stay motivated? You want to go first? Well, early days it was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth, sorry. Yeah. But, um, so you do, I think what Paul says is true and they're teaching us a lot now through neuroscience at what you're, what's really happening in your head and the talk. Um, sometimes you're not aware how negative that is and a- actually having to change that uh, negative thought because that's probably making your situation 50% more darker than what it really is. So, you know, even the journey I've had, I've had to swap words. I've had to address what am I thinking? This is the end of the world. Um, no, nah, it's not really. It's not comfortable maybe. Like changing that thinking actually helps your system, your emotions, the way you feel about life lifts you up. But the other is, you know, um, often you see in the Psalms, you know, David would just give a good talking to his soul. Yeah. And I've done that often. I'm, you know, I go for a period of time, you forget, you know, feeling down. And then all of a sudden, oh, hang on, oh, I've got God. <laughs> and I can, I can go to him. And I can go and talk to him about this. And I can even hand everything to him and walk away if I want. Mm. And so I think those two things, making sure I'm aware of what I'm thinking and how do I change that. And the second is going to God and just saying, hey, actually the Holy Spirit, sometimes, you know, I'll just say, I'm going to lean on you today. And I literally think in my mind, I've put my head on his shoulder and just say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this. I need your help today and and just leave it, leave it with him. So that that's probably what I've learnt and been trained in over many years. So at the beginning it would have been taken me a lot of time to get out of those doldrums but I think now I can address that a lot quicker because I've trained myself to recognise, hey, what am I thinking like this for? How can I change it? And go to God with that. Yeah. Do, oh, sorry, Paul. Just yeah, the post-its. Do they are they there to like get you conscious about what you're thinking? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I'm a visual person. I don't know if everyone's a visual person, but for me, um, I like at the moment I go on YouTube and I put the worship. There's just like 50-hour worship stuff. That just just piano music, but it's got scripture comes up, and just me looking at it, reading it. Oh, okay, just it's just a. I think the Bible actually says you got to. You, the scripture is, you know, we'll forget it tomorrow, and you got to keep looking at it. Yeah. And you know, Israel and all that were taught to 
go over it, uh, ruminate, yes. selah, yeah. think about it, think about it, renew your mind that way, thinking on it. So. It's true, and that's and that's good at that. And then when sometimes when Annette can't sleep, she just listens to one of my podcasts so she can sleep. Um, so, Annette is very good. Actually, the one thing that's impressed me with about Annette is how she's really worked on her thinking. So, it might sound unspiritual, but I would say Annette has rescued herself by changing the way she thinks. Like powerfully, she just. I'm like, geez. I don't think I'd have the discipline to rethink that through, but she is, she's definitely done that, so she's good at that. Yeah. And it, it's made her well, like completely well, by changing her thinking. Um, for me, I have what I call the messianic complex when I'm bad, uh, where I believe that I'm suffering more than Jesus. Uh, so I say to Annette things like, oh, Jesus only did three years of ministry. I've been in it for 30 years. Like, you know you're in a bad way when you're... Comparing yourself to Jesus, right? Right, and I'm like, yeah, exactly, right? And I'm like, and he only had like, thank you, brother, um, twins. And I'm like, and like he had 12 disciples. I got like flipping 100 leaders, man. What do I, I mean, he should have a go at what I'm going to do, you know? Like, and that steps aside because you can feel lightning, you know, ready to arrive. So my worst, in my worst scenarios, I'm definitely doing the messianic complex thing, which... That's all right. I've got to vent it. God's got big shoulders. He can hear it, I think, I hope. Um, so you guys know, I think, that nine years ago, we have sabbatical every seven years. We, our church agreed that we would have every seven years we'd take three months off. We just had one in Christmas, uh, December, January. Um, but I, nine years ago, I was cactus, completely cactus. So I um, hated Christians, hated my church, um, I mean, you name it. In fact, when uh, it was Keith Farmer, our um, mentor, who suggested that we're not, I'm not over the cliff, like I haven't gone over the cliff, but I'm about six months before I do go off the cliff. And it's probably better that you apprehend that now <laughs> until you wait till you physically can't get out of bed in the morning. And so uh, we took a sabbatical. And during that time, uh, I'm just being honest with you, I, we went to America and hid and I had five and a half months off, I could not go to church for four months. Like every, in fact, the last the night before we went on sabbatical, I remember sitting in our Sunday night church service. I'm sitting next to Annette. I kept getting up to leave. I didn't even know I'd do it. I honestly was subconsciously did not know. She's having to put her hand on my leg saying it's not over yet. Just wait. Hasn't finished yet. Hasn't finished yet. And the moment it finished, I just went straight out the door. And because I just let myself... I think, in many ways, get unhealthy. It's not, we won't go into the details, but there's a whole range of things. I'm saying that to say that we are smarter. That's why I'm trying to get it across our state. You have to look after yourself. And so if I'm not fishing, it means I'm not resting. So I have to make time to rest. Um, we, take, we take all of January off. So you should, um, if you've got your senior pastors in the room, you should give them four weeks off a year straight now, I know some of you are saying you're bivocational. I'm telling you, there's a way. If you let people know that you need a month off, let's talk because we get a pastor to come in and preach for you. Um, most of your, honestly, most of your churches will run for four weeks without you. They just need a speaker on Sunday. Other than that, they won't notice. Right? I had people, when I got back after three months this year, they're like, oh, did you go away, did you? Shows them I say, come to church. And so we take four weeks every January, 
just go because we need four weeks in a row. We just go. We got to leave. Um, we when we're travelling like we are today, like we came up a day or two early. We're speaking in um, Ballina next week. We're doing that region. We're going three days early, so we're going to have three days break. And so we've got smart about. Um, we just recognise we're human, and we. It's foolish to think that you're not going to implode at some point in your life, and so. And you, you, you do it for your people. You do it for yourself, but you do it for your people as well because you're no good when you're fried and burnt out. Yeah. And it, it'd be normal, honestly, it'd be relatively normal for you to hit the wall a, a few times in your life mm. and feel like that we're done, man. This yeah. is it. We're not doing this anymore. Yeah. No, it's very normal. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.